to the Voice of Islam Radio. Auzubillahi minashaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 30th of January, 2023. The time is 7.03 a.m. And you're listening to Daniel Zia and Imam Mubashir Zafri live from the breakfast studios um, of Voice of Islam in South London. The two topics that we have uh, for you today are um, the the first one we shall start around uh, 7.30 will be about the Met Police and uh, restoring trust uh, in the police service in the wake of David Carrick case. And then at around 8.30 a.m. or so, we shall talk about the second topic, which is about microwaves and plastic containers. So are microwave safe plastic containers actually safe to microwave so those are the two topics uh, of the morning um let me welcome my fellow presenter imam mubashir zafri assalamu alaikum peace be on you may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you too uh, thank you for introducing me in a very lovely manner well uh, excellent i i I have to. You, this is the first show uh, that we're doing together, so absolutely. Uh, there, there is no other way for for me to introduce. But to thank you very much. I really appreciate warm that. Warm welcome. Uh, so thank <laughs> to you very much. It's an honor being here with you. Well, it's an honor to present with you, as you were just mentioning, and I wasn't aware that you are actually a teacher in the Institute of Theology and Modern Languages um, in Hazelmere, right? Uh, absolutely. Yes, I'm teaching history over there. Um, I graduated from there in yeah. 2018, and have been back now as a teacher. So I've been doing that for for some time, working on the e-learning of the, of the institute, uh, developing a system for modern, modern teaching. Right. And this year I've had the opportunity to teach. So put put everything that I've done into okay. practice. So you must be one of the exceptionally bright ones. I mean, to, to have graduated uh, in in twenty eighteen and already teaching there, uh, uh, that must be a big honor. In it's, it's a big honor, but yeah. I want to say I'm the one of the brightest. I'm just you know just a normal student, just getting by. Through the days, sure. getting work done, and then you know it's you never know what's going to happen. So okay. I've ended up being there, uh, and I'm enjoying it. It's it's quite a new venture for myself, especially teaching, mm. uh, because um, you you don't realize till you get there how much an effort a teacher puts in mm. to just deliver one lecture. Of so as a student, you never realize that, you never appreciate it as much. Mm. But now being on the other side of the mm. table. You realize that teachers genuinely put a lot of effort, um, not only 
preparing the lessons but also keeping their knowledge up to date so now you understand their frustration and absolutely. sometimes they even you know <laughs> a little bit of anger uh, absolutely <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, yeah it does get frustrating at times um just because um especially for new teachers mm. you don't realize how to cope with the diversity of students within the class there are some who are very exceptional students and then you have students that aren't as exceptional um and they require more attention mm. so to manage that within the classroom is is it's 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 a challenge but uh, nevertheless it's it's a challenge that of course every teacher takes on board and then delivers in the best way possible so that's sort of what we're trying to do as well now excellent so tell us a little bit about the history so when you say history is that uh, history of the community or history in general no so what what we do in the institute of uh, theology and modern languages is that there's two years that history is taught in the third year and the fourth year in the third year we go through the history of islam so mm. from the very inception of islam in fact we look you know at history prior to islam as well in saudi arabia we're not in saudi arabia in arabia generally sure uh, and see how uh, islam developed as a religion mm. um what the initial causes uh, were and how the life of the holy prophet peace be upon him uh you know unveiled over time and how that came to us so it's a very critical analysis of sources uh of how different events have been mentioned by different historians mm. and just having a uh, having an overlook of the history of islam uh in the fourth year then we look at the history of the community uh the ahmadiyya muslim community and we look at how it was how it all started uh, in ghadian in 1889 so that's when the foundations of the community were laid down yes. but before that there was so there was so much happening that sometimes we miss that in uh, in the past our history mm. so how <clears throat> the promised messiah peace be upon him how his life developed over the course of time uh, what sort of things he was doing before laying down the foundations for the community so that's the sort of things that we're doing Uh, and covering history but also in uh, other aspects uh, of religious studies we do look at the history of judaism christianity sikhism buddhism but that falls under the topic of comparative lang- uh, comparative religions so that's where we study the history of but not in as depth as we do for islamic and the history of ahmadiyya but sure there's still some Sure. Okay. Just just to make them sort of, oh, of well-rounded course. individuals, <clears throat> and uh, and and you mentioned this is uh, this is being done on e-learning, or, or this is yes, supposed so, to be done on e-learning. So so uh, once I had um, graduated from the institute, I was uh, given the responsibility of developing uh, an e-learning system for for that institute. Um, so that requires us to basically standardize the teaching, uh, but also equipping the teaching. Mm. staff with the facilities of uh, digital lectures so having um, lectures based off their notes uh, in form of presentations then having handouts uh, question sheets activities uh, on on the serv- on on the, on the internet for the students different things videos video lectures so all of the things that we see on a digital learning platform mm. we're trying to provide that for uh Jamia which is the of course the institute of uh, theology and modern languages are so many and you're looking um at this project uh, yes i am so that's the main objective of my responsibility right. um 
I have a senior who's working on that, who is of course my right. direct senior, and then mm. of course we all fall under the principal of the institute. Awesome, that's uh, that's great. Um, well, on that note, uh, let's take a quick break. But before we go on that break, a reminder of the two topics that we shall be covering. So the first one is about uh, uh, restoring trust in the police service in the wake of David Carrick case. And then we shall talk about uh, microwaves uh, uh, being safe or not uh, for the um, uh, or, or the microwave safe plastic containers actually being safe for microwaves or not. So those are the two topics uh, uh, we which we shall start discussing at around 7:30 a.m. But when we come back from the break, we will continue. We will talk about um, the uh, headlines appearing in the newspapers today, as well as uh, some of the uh, important news that uh, we shall want to discuss. So please do stay tuned. to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. Today is Monday the 30th of January 2023. The time is 7.12am. And we are about to talk about the current, um, the headlines appearing in the newspapers today. So, um, <laughs> the most of um, uh, today's papers um are actually uh, covering the sacking of Nadeem Zahavi. So the Financial Times notes that an inquiry found Zahavi had committed serious breaches of the ministerial code and says the move represents a significant U-turn for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who only weeks ago insisted Zahavi had addressed this matter in full. The paper also described the episode as only the latest political scandal to hit the ruling party. He's not sorry at all, reads the headline in the Metro. The paper describes Harvey as unrepentant, noting that a letter he published after the sacking failed to mention the tax case or express regret, and that he instead used it to take a swipe at the British press that exposed him. Zahavi previously threatened to sue journalists probing his taxes and in the letter criticized a headline about the affair in The Independent last week, which read the news titans. The mirror says the affair shows the Conservative Party is rotten to the core, quoting one Tory as saying, you cannot move for dirt. The Prime Minister is also criticised for failing to do the right thing earlier. The sacking came after weeks of damaging headlines that undermined the Prime Minister's attempts to restore government's integrity, according to The Guardian. The paper notes that Zahavi is the second cabinet minister to go within Sunak's first three months in the job, adding that any hopes 
he may have moving on could soon be scuppered by the conclusion of an internal inquiry into bullying allegations against his deputy Dominic Robb. The I reports that allies of the Prime Minister blame the number of scandals hitting the government on his predecessor, saying the legacy of Boris Johnson's time in office encouraged Zahavi to cling on. The paper also quotes former Chancellor George Osborne saying Sunak is being pulled down by a series of scandals of the Johnson era. The Times says Zahavi's sacking is part of a move by the Prime Minister to get tough on standards. It quotes senior sources saying he will now take a zero-tolerance approach to breaches of the ministerial code, but one ally of Zahavi tells the paper that the sacking will reinforce a view among some MPs close to Johnson, whose own downfall was triggered by Sunak's resignation as Chancellor, that Sunak lacks loyalty. Allies of Zahavi have also claimed that he was sacked without being given a fair hearing and that the findings of the inquiry were rushed out for political expediency. This according to The Telegraph. Sources have told the paper that Zahavi was given only one 30-minute hearing to defend himself and that key facts in his favour, including that he told one civil, one senior civil servant about the HMRC investigation and fine, were not included in the final report. Boris Johnson also features on the front page of The Express. The paper reports on an interview with the BBC in which Johnson claimed that following a trip he made to Ukrainian capital Kyiv, shortly before the Russian invasion last February, Vladimir Putin threatened to assassinate him. He said the pair discussed the West's likely response to any invasion, including the threat of sanctions, but that the Russian president told him, I don't want to hurt you, but with a missile, it would only take a minute. The same story appears on the front page of the Mail. The paper reports Johnson tried to placate Putin by playing down the prospect of Ukraine joining NATO and describes the president's response as astonishing. So those are the headlines um, appearing in the newspapers this morning. Um, Imam Zafri, anything that may have caught your eye this morning? Uh, of course, as you mentioned, um, Zahavi's sacking has been has been a shock right. of to 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 the nation somewhat, and seeing that our leaders are failing to do certain small tasks that are required by the rest of the public, uh, those people who are representing us, so that has been a shock. Uh, apart from that, as you mentioned, this also has come to surprise a lot of people regarding Boris Johnson's meeting with Putin. Uh, and it just goes to show that uh, generally all over the world, there's a lot of turmoil that is taking place and a lot of injustice that is happening. Um, so that is shocking indeed, actually. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, for um, uh, for a sitting head of state of uh, of a big nuclear power to say that uh, you are only a missile hit away. I mean, that that's some some serious of course. threat to make. Of course, it's, it's somewhat uh, ridiculous as well, mm. threatening other nations just because you have some sort of power to undermine them or think that you know you can put or pressurize them with a, a missile. So it just goes to show that uh, you know there is that injustice and that that thought that we can pressurize anyone due to our power is somewhat you know sickening. Right. Um, Imam Anand, anything interesting um, that you saw in the newspapers this morning? Uh, yes, uh, this, the, the the war is still on the rise. So, 
um, <clears throat> there's a statement of the President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, who's uh, who is uh, suggesting or demanding, in fact, that uh, the upcoming Olympics, uh, he wants to boycott Russia, and he's demanding that they should not be allowed to join the Olympics. Uh, however, the the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, is suggesting that the athletes can join or can compete as neutral athletes. So instead mm. of uh, displaying themselves as Russian athletes, they they would have to display them as just neutral athletes without any country. Is that is that fair though? I mean, mm. you know, asking somebody to uh, strip off his uh, nationality is. I mean, yeah. So I think it's not confirmed. The debate is going on. Yeah. There's suggestions here and demands there. The UK. Uh, government has also backed President Zelensky that have having neutral athletes is, shouldn't be part of the Olympics. But isn't isn't really? I mean, it does it not open a wider question, which is, I mean, should we mix mix sports <coughs> with politics? Of course not. Good I think question. that's one of the one of the things that uh, a lot of other sports uh, have, you know, such as football and uh, such as other mm. uh, other sports. They have mentioned that you know the moment you introduce politics into sports it completely changes the dynamics mm. uh, of course sports is something that is supposed to bring us together exactly uh, and sportsmanship is such a beautiful thing that we see in sports you know whether it's cricket whether it's football whether it's rugby whatever sports you want to pick up you see that sportsmanship and when there are certain cases of hatred whether it's to do politically or whether it is um, you know just racism those <coughs> things are picked up on Mm. So it's only fair to say that that should be the level for every in sport, uh, and of course, you know, stripping of someone's nationality mm. in itself is somewhat damaging to 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 the you know to the athletes. Uh, they they are only there to represent their exactly their, their that's, that's, a, that's the pride you carry. <clears> I mean, it's of the course. national flag you want to represent. So that that is somewhat unfair. But again, you know, that's due to the fact that global. Politics is being introduced into the sports. Yeah, geopolitics and uh, and and sports are being mixed up, which is uh, which, and, and you're absolutely right. We've seen so many times in history that uh, sports, uh, the role sports has, has played to bring people together, actually to bridge gaps. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, one of the biggest examples is, of course, everyone knows the rivalry of Pakistan and in India when yeah. it comes to the cricket matches. Sure. Are you uh, a cricket fan? Oh, uh, I'm a sports fan, so I watch okay. uh, an array <laughs> of sports, whether it's uh, boxing, UFC, cricket, football. So, okay. so I have my interest in sports. So that's the thing. I mean, as mentioned, the cricket itself is very interesting, and of course, all the matches and everyone, anyone who is familiar with the rivalry in cricket between these two nations, yeah. know how intense those matches get, even to the last. Ball that's bold. They are yeah. the most intense matches on earth. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, there is no, nothing more intense. Oh, and oh, if, if somebody thinks that Arsenal versus Liverpool would be <laughs> intense, you haven't seen an India Pakistan uh, oh, match. Of course, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So the, the thing is, even in that, you know, whatever's happening behind the uh, behind the closed doors or behind the scene <clears> in terms of politics, um, everyone knows that there have been some, you know tensions between the two nations mm. but when it comes to sports you see fans you know even after the matches though there are times that you know it's unfortunate to see that there have been some fights that have been interrupted but generally you see people's you know being happy complimenting one another yeah. um even you know opposing nations meet the 
stars of the other team yeah. and they take pictures and autographs so sh- there's mutual respect so I think respect is the most important thing if you have mutual respect hmm. uh, then in, at least in sports uh, not bringing in the geopolitical uh, agendas within the sports then hmm. I think that atmosphere of harmony can remain within the within the nations and generally if you look at it uh, all around the world a lot of the people the general public they aren't too they don't want to get into these political things they want to live yeah, their lives in absolutely. peace absolutely uh, um, yeah. and I mean, that's where it is what is the fault of that athlete uh, I'd argue who would have spent the last you know I don't know what 8-10 years his whole uh, life actually. his whole life is actually training for life. this particular event and uh, just because he happens to be born in Russia you know he, he or of course. she cannot represent mm. his country and I think it just goes beyond sports as well I mean when, when the war when the war started there was a lot of people the Russians you know law-abiding Russians who were living in different countries who had big assets and their assets were, you know, locked uh, and they, they didn't have access to their wealth just because they were Russians. Yeah. So there's the question then, of course, uh, you know, is that arises in one's mind is that, you know, if, if your country that you, of course, belong to it takes a step that you particularly don't agree with or have no say in does that put your whole life or you know life savings at risk just because your country has done that so it's something that we need to consider generally throughout the world and going back to this example that you gave India Pakistan um, cricket diplomacy you know this has played such an important role in the history of uh, those two countries and we've seen time and again at least I can think of at least a couple of occasions when the two countries were the tensions were really high they were actually about to go to, to war mm. and then uh, you know cricket matches were held and tensions cooled and you know people uh, came together so um, yeah it, uh, you know one shouldn't underestimate the role that sports do play in of course of bringing people in and I think another, another disadvantage of um ruling out certain nations is that you're not making things better mm. i mean of course that little step can go a long way and if 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 a person feels undermined he might take steps or he or she might take steps that then lead to further you know uh it can be you know somewhat catastrophic mm. so it's again striking that balance uh, and seeing that you know what's the best way to deal with the situation but also keep everyone happy at the same time so that at least in sports they're all taking part representing their countries and keep the politics out of it. I think uh, slightly, yeah. I, I think this example is probably bigger than the Pakistan-India rivalry, <laughs> okay. which is the World Go Cup, on. the yeah. recent World Cup. Yeah. There's a lot of controversy about the, the LGBT, the, the yeah. Qatari law, yes. but I think they dealt with it very, very Yes. Well, well yeah. you know, they they try to keep the focus on football. Well, a lot of Western mainstream media would disagree with what you're saying, but yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yes. No, even though yeah. there was there was a lot of backlash, yeah, but I think a, the public supported the the Qataris more than yeah. their own governments. I, I think they, they handled the, it so professionally. I think uh, yeah. They, yeah. The, the whole uh, cup uh, went on without an incident without a bad mm-hmm. incident and it was very very professionally managed and as as Manansa was as uh, Imam Manansa was mentioning that the focus was on football mm. so it was on the sports and that's why people that, went that there that is where it should have been actually yeah. in the first place yeah so I think mm. yeah you're right uh, you know it, it, things become um, 
you're on a slippery slope when you mix politics oh, yes, uh, with definitely. with sports and uh, unfortunately that's what's happening and and you know goes back to the argument of fair play and justice and uh, creating a just and a fair environment for for everybody i mean the theme that uh, his holiness hazrat mirza mashur ahmed the current leader of the the current head of the ahmed muslim community continues to talk about um uh, you know whether it's uh, is international geopolitics or international relations or relations in our daily lives it's all it all comes down to having balance and justice and fair play um and, and that's what's unfortunately missing at the moment which reminds me that uh, uh, he will um inshallah god willing be speaking again um on the 4th of march uh, at the at the peace conference the national peace symposium which uh, is or was being held every year except for the last two when we couldn't mm. hold it because of covid yeah. so is that something you're looking forward to oh well, 100% it's it's a highlight of our community in within the uk mm. it's a time when um, we get to showcase basically not our not only our achievements but also the work that we do throughout the world especially here in the uk of course belonging to the community here so that's something that of course all of us do look forward to taking our guests uh, guests around the mosque showing them the mosque and of course the mosque being one of the largest in, in, in europe yeah. uh, it's 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 an honor that we do of course hold with a lot of pride and then showcasing that to the public yeah. it's something that you know it's it's a, it's something very special i would say mm-hmm. and i think that the the general you know feedback that we get from from our guests it's also quite positive it's really the address of uh, of his order which, oh, is, which is the keynote address and which is the highlight of the the uh, event 100% in which he, he you know he talks about these pressing problems that we yeah. we've just um, uh, sort of touched upon the, the pressing problems the world faces today of course. and a solution to those problems and the and the, the, the surprising thing is not even surprising you know the, one of the things is that a lot of the guests that do listen to the speech and the address they are so astonished and surprised that yes. how you know a leader of of muslim community is t- tackling these issues yeah. and how he's speaking about them not only freely but giving practical solutions mm. and they all say that this message that your his holiness <coughs> is giving if implemented we can have international peace mm. so they all listen in and they all agree with a lot of the things that his holiness mentions and they outright say that this is something that we need to implement so of course that's having a big impact uh, and it does have an impact on the guests that we have a huge impact and the amazing thing is that if you listen to the speech carefully the points his holiness mentions are so simple hmm. that you don't need any uh, degree or diploma to understand them yeah. because these are the, the basic basic moral morality Principles, or moral moral points yeah. which are the issue in the whole world which mm. injustice and you know love for each other the, the main focus again mm. you know for if it's about sports then focus on the sports don't mm. focus on the politics yeah. don't bring in race don't bring in yeah. uh, other money issues anything so keeping it to the to you know to the point and his holiness always mentions is very briefly and very I think he makes it yes. so yeah. simple yes. that the war is happening the reason is this mm. this this like injustice this mm. and that the issue is not usually like oh cuz he has more money or he has oil the issue is injustice yes and uh, his holiness meant like he this lays it out so simply mm. and people when they listen even though they know that that is the answer but when they listen 
they are just amazed like oh, sometimes you need to hear uh, yeah, of course. the solution i mean sometimes mm. you you need to hear even the simple things as well sometimes yeah. you need to be told that you know this is as simple as it sounds um i think it was einstein who said if uh, if it's not simple it's not good enough <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> yeah you know you you've got to make things simple um and and yeah and and you were mentioning uh, you know the the audience and um, how uh, impressed and and the kind of feedback that we always receive so that audience comprises of secretaries of state diplomats professors uh, of esteemed universities from all over the world so it's a, it's, it's it's an a, array of you know Uh, audience and the thing is as uh, Imam Manan mentioned it's very simple it's not over sophisticated a lot of the issues that happen do take place as coming back to you know the role of teaching as you mentioned you <laughs> we were speaking with earlier you know if you over sophisticate things yeah. it's unlikely that and not just students but yeah. anyone in the world would understand you what you're trying to get, get to yes. mm. so if you make things simple mm. and easy to understand then you know you're likely more likely to achieve those targets that you have in mind exactly. uh, whether that's or well, it goes for any profession in mm. fact i was listening yeah. to something uh, on a, on a ted talks a few weeks back and there's this um CEO of a company who basically changed he was reaching his mid you know middle ages and he was saying that you know I am reaching the mid age crisis so I thought I should change my career yeah. so he said that you know I went um and I looked around and I thought that teaching would be a good profession you know it's a fresh start new you know it's a new clean sheet and uh, let me start from the very beginning so he goes into this teaching um career and he's seeking help from experienced teachers and he just generally wants to make an impact on the students so he wants to raise these students to be one of the best versions of themselves right so he he speaks to these teachers who apparently are very very successful with their students they're, they're getting good grades and the gist of the story is that the principles that he had for his company which was successful those were the very same principles <laughs> that were had to be implemented in his teaching right. so one of them being was that you know you need to set goals you need to believe mm-hmm. in your team you need to make things simple for them you need to work as as a unit rather than individual learning oh. so all of those things you know are pretty much universal and if implemented and th- thought about you know we can simplify a lot of our problems you know what that means that means you're qualified to be a ceo <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> We should we should we should start a company and you know have us ahead of ahead of the company. <laughs> All right, excellent. Okay, um, so uh, let's bring uh, our discussion on the current affairs uh, and the stories being uh, in the newspapers today to a close, and take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we sh- we shall start discussing our first topic, which is about restoring trust in the police service in the wake of David Carrick case. Do stay tuned. Allah, 
أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then, should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif?
أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمدا You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 30th of January 2023. The time is 7.38 and we are about to start the first topic, which is about police um, restoring trust in the police service in the wake of David Carrick case. Imam Amanan, would you like to introduce the topic? Yes. Um, so uh, the gist of the story is that London's police chief has unveiled his vision on how to reform the force and win back public trust over the next two years the plan has nine priorities, including building the strongest ever neighborhood policing, improving public protection and safeguarding, giving victims a compassionate service and showing uh, communities we care and respect them. All police in England and Wales must be checked against national database by the end of March, the National Police Chiefs Council said on Friday. And the Met Commissioner, Sir Mark Rowley, said the next two years would be critical and that he was determined to win back Londoners' trust. So in Sky News um, reports on the Commissioner's new vision, the report highlights the failings of the Met Police as regards the convicted rapist David Carrick and provided a timeline of all missed opportunities of the MPs taking affirmative or sacking uh, of uh, Carrick as far back as 2000. It highlights uh, the timeline here. So he joined the forces in 2001. His ex-partner had reported in 2000 malicious communications and burglary complaints. Five complaints from uh, members of the public between 2002 and 2008, including rudeness, uh, incivility and the use of force, with two incidents uh, dealt with by management action. He made a firearms. He was made a, a firearms officer in 2009, despite at least one further domestic incident involving the Met in 2004. And in 2004, he he was transferred to the uh, Parliamentary and the Diplomatic Protection Command, Hertfordshire uh, Police. Received a domestic abuse report from a third party involving um, Carrick. And then 2016, Hampshire Police investigation. Uh, following an allegation of harassment, but he was not arrested. In 2017, a reported for being drunk and disorderly in Reading. After being accused of grabbing a woman by the neck during a domestic incident investigated by Hertfordshire Constabulary in 2019, the PC was given words of advice, but found to have no misconduct case to answer in relation to informing his chain of command about off-duty incidents. So there's a long history of uh, allegations and uh, misconducts by uh, David Carrick. He was placed on restricted duties after being arrested on suspicion of rape in July 2021, but the restrictions were lifted after the criminal probe was dropped in September. And uh, Carrick has now admitted two charges of rape, two of sexual assault and one count of controlling and coercive behaviour in relation to the woman. 
And uh, in October 2021 to 2022, publicity around the case prompts another 12 women to come forward with allegations against Carrick. And uh, recently, 16th December 2022, Carrick pleads guilty to 43 offences at the Old Bailey. His pay is stopped by the Met Police. And uh, in January, he admits further six charges at Southern Crown Court. So this is a, a massive, massive uh, wow. controversial <coughs> time for the Met Police here. Sure. I mean, and, and quite a few missed opportunities there, you know, as early as um, I'd say 2016, 2017. You know, he's been reported drunk and disorderly. That's uh, that I alone, I think, is uh, is uh, conduct mm. unbecoming of a police officer, isn't it? And then, you know, grabbing a woman, a woman by the neck uh, during an incident and, and then, uh, you know, placed on um, restricted duty only after being arrested on suspicion of rape in July 2021. So, mm. you know, it's uh, quite a few missed opportunities there, Mams uh, not, not just quite a few, many occasions. And the thing is that uh, that's the reason why, you know, the Met officer is trying to, or the Met commissioner is trying to do his best to somewhat bring back trust in the public or in, in the force uh, amongst the public. Mm. And I think that's quite a difficult task when, you know, the, this timeline is being showcased to to the public. And it just goes to show that, you know, this is one account that has come to light. Um, the public, of course, will be thinking if this is possible, then there's possibility mm. that there's others out there who have similar conduct or have had the similar sort of treatment. Uh, and, you know, gaining that trust is is a very difficult task. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, um, it, is, it's, it's, it is difficult. How many accounts will you let go before, mm. you know, you bring one to justice? So all those questions are being asked uh, and raised by the public. And this is now on the, on, you know, on the, on the account of the Met Commissioner and the police to do something about it. Uh, and I think that's the, you know, the reason why the police is there is to, of course, you know, pol- the police actually comes from the word policy, right? Mm. So the police has to enforce the policy or the, the the you know the rules and regulations that have been set by the government, the laws. Yeah. The laws. So mm. if they themselves, those who are meant to enforce those laws, are breaking the laws, mm. then then we are in in some somewhat some t- turmoil. Uh, and contradiction, and that's the reason why people are, you know, slowly losing their interest and their trust in in, in the in the police. Mm-hmm. I think <clears throat> some people would argue that um, that police is, after all, just a reflection of people in the society, mm-hmm. um, and the more the um, uh, as as morals. Um, take a back seat in society in general um, so would they in the in the police service what would you say to those people? I think that's a very philosophical uh, statement <laughs> I would say that because yes I mean to a certain degree I agree with that mm. but that nevertheless doesn't mean that you know an effort should be made you know speaking of uh, the reflection of society that does not hinder the opportunity for the police to enforce those laws. The laws are there for a reason. Mm. Uh, they're very straightforward. Mm. So if the, uh, you know, if if the way the 
selection of officers is made, if that's narrowed down to how they are selecting the officers, what's being done, and if bringing justice to a person who does, you know, it's it's not it's not about being a reflection. It's about what's being done after a person uh, perpetrates a crime. Um, if a, if a police officer is a perpetrator of crime, how do you deal with that? Do you bring justice? Do you do you act I- I- in the way the law has set down the rules and regulations for the people? Or do you let go? Or do you just put a brush under the carpet? So if those things are being done, then it's I wouldn't say it's a reflection of society, but it's just the lack of, um, you know, implementing the laws that have been set mm-hmm. and covering up for others and giving them opportunity to carry on doing their, uh, you know, whatever they're doing. Uh, and you're allowing them to, you know, have other acts of misconduct. Sure. Or accounts of misconduct. On that note, let me go straight to our first guest, who is uh, Ms. Zofi Khan, who is the Director of Policy and Legal at the Police Action Centre. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. 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 So, Ms. Khan, my first question to you would be, what is Police Action Centre? The Police Action Centre was uh, an organisation um, for for public for the public um, to provide independent advice in relation to whether or not they have any kind of complaints or claims or any kind of action against the state. Um, and it's also a think tank, so we identify areas where policing needs to we need to look in, into policing and change policing and any kind of project that we need to do project based, research-based projects for the community um, to try to challenge any kind of bad practice that has um, occurred in policing. So it's, it's three in one, basically. We provide uh, general advice. A think tank can also reach research into certain areas of policing policy. Uh, hi there, Ms. Sophie. Um, yeah, just based on that, so, um, I mean, the, the London Met uh, Police Force has been around for at least 200 years. And, of course, uh, over time, there have been many changes. And we know that, you know, in the future, it will also continue to evolve uh, as the changes of our society change uh, and the needs of our society change. Well, it may not. <laughs> no, of evolve course, now. I mean, that's debatable. It might, it might not evolve now. Oh, of course, but, yeah. I mean, again, that's debatable. depending on the circumstances that we live in and how those will change. So, of course, there's always that change that we might experience in the future and, of course, how we have changed over the course of time. Uh, But could you just uh, elaborate uh, on the Policing and Crime Act of 2017? Uh, What is this and how effective has that been in light of the previous couple of years? Well, let me just talk about maybe the um, the evolving um, changes with the Met Police. I think um, that's really stayed quite steady. It's very much been the policing system that's been there for 200 years. And then previously, you'll know, or, or your readers may know, um, your audience may know, that the policing system in this country came from basically, you know, in, in the Indian continent, the when there was colonialism by the British in India. So that's where our police system came from. It was very much about protecting the, um, you know, the, the British property and the British you know, person against the Indian man <laughs> and, and woman. So that's where our policing came from in relation to America. That, was, that came from slavery to keep the slaves in control. So I think with over the 200 years, 
our policing system has very much been protecting the property and the person of the generally the the, the elite system um but i think we have really we're really moving into a post policing society now where I, I think people are are rejecting the, the structure of policing and they want to have a different form of safety um mm. and how how are we going to police ourselves in a safe way um, which does not look like how it was, you know, how we've been policed for 200 years. The Policing and Crime Act, um, which came in in 2017, um, was to help reform, well, was to reform the police complaints mainly, to reform the police complaints uh, and disciplinary system, which obviously has not worked, um, but also to give um, further powers to the inspectorate, which obviously, in a way, may you know has worked because they've identified certain forces and one of them is the met police which has been put into special um measures so whatever i think whatever reforms or whatever provisions um you know parliament has tried to bring in so you know with the policing itself it has had little little impact um because of obviously the problems that we have, you know, that exist internally. So any kind of external pressure has had very little impact on the internal issues that, that were going on. Right. Ms. Khan, I, I must make a, a confession on live radio. You, you learn something new every day. Um, having, as, as somebody who's, uh, who's uh, uh, brought up in the Indian subcontinent, we yeah. always believe that the policing system was uh, a policing system there was brought by the British uh, after a lot of uh, sophisticated thought and um, and development in in the European context, and and that's how the policing system was uh, was given to the subcontinent, which, by the way, is is still um, uh, the current policing system in both India and Pakistan still has uh, uh, has its roots in the system that was given by the British. And, and here you are arguing that actually it was no, no, their no, experience was, in the subcontinent oh, yeah. that actually was brought it here. It was a subcontinent. Wow. Br- 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 how to, how to brutalise a, a, a um, people who are not the same as them. Wow. That, was, that's the, that is the basis of policing, unfortunately. It's really sad, but mm. that is the basis of policing. And should we as a community and should we as, as a society and citizens tolerate that anymore and obviously look what's happening <laughs> no the answer the, the answer's coming back no so that's mm. why before this policing system the met police is imploding and once mm. the met police implodes it's going to take the entire policing system with it with it so then we've got maybe two or three years to put in place a post-policing you know, structure which is basically it's similar to neighborhood policing but to a higher level where we we will have to there will have to be thought put into this as to how we police ourselves without this policing system because i think the met police is imploding and once the met police goes under it will drag the entire system with it i i i have to say i've i've foreseen this for a long time (laughs) and when i used to speak to the senior um, police Officers, this was years ago. I don't. I can't speak to them now because obviously they didn't. They don't listen to anyone out, outside. Mm. I, I was trying to hint that reform or die, and they thought, well, they know better. Well, they didn't, did they? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, thank you, Miss Khan. Um, 
Going a little bit to the other direction, um, with the case of David Carrick and his abhorrent behaviour towards women, uh, it begs the question uh, of the vetting system and um, the recruitment system. Yes. Uh, do you think uh, you can avoid picking such people in the recruitment system? And is there, in your opinion, any ways to improve the system? Or do you think it's just it's just a few cases which come out after like some time and it's not avo- it's unavoidable? Well, no, because obviously the vetting system has come up to be a, a serious problem because last um, week the Met's commissioner has said two or three uh, uh, Met police officers are, are attending court in relation to criminal acts, two or three per week. Per week. Um, so, cl- yeah, two or three per week. And he reported mm-hmm. that yesterday, last week at the London Assembly, um, when he was at the London Assembly. So two or three per week. Met police officers are going to court because of criminal acts that they have committed uh, whilst they are police officers. Um, and um, so that so the vetting system, maybe there wasn't even a vetting system, I don't know. But mm. clearly, you know, at the moment that we, we, we have a lot of wrong people who are police officers. Um, and I don't know how quick, you know, I, I don't know how you know, the Met Commissioner is going to be able to resolve that overnight. I don't think he can. So we have a problem. Um, I don't think, I think the vetting system will have to be dealt with by an external, maybe, maybe you know, external um, oversight to see whether the vetting system, what vetting system they have and how it um, put us all in danger. Well, the vetting system is, is one thing. But does it not pose the question that uh, the the system that they have, the governance system that they have of people yeah. who are within the force, you yeah. know, uh, David Carrick, he was, there were so many opportunities to yeah. um, uh, to put him away, but they were, they were all missed opportunities. So is the governance system within the police, after they're hired, fit for purpose? Well, they, I don't think um, they missed the opportunities. They investigated him and they ignored it and allowed him to be revetted and to carry on. Mm. So the leadership, his, his, his bosses, his, his superiors, the leadership of the Met Police, they knew about um, Carrick um, 18 months ago. Um, they knew about him years ago about what he was doing because there were complaints upon complaints so they had to be investigated but every time a complaint was made against him his supervisor or someone the leadership in the met police they would look at it and and close it close the file and allow him to carry on so it it was very much trying to cover up what he's doing why they were covering what he was doing i don't know they thought maybe it will never come out well it came out um, but yeah, there was a lot of people that were that, that knew what was going on. The leadership knew that what was going on, and they just were, didn't want to tell the public what was going on. And when the women were coming forward to say that he's he's doing this to us, they just want they just shut them down and told them to get lost. So is is that do you think misogynistic behaviour or uh, generally in the police service, or is there does this open up a wider question about police behaviour in general? This is. This is police behavior in general. It's basically very defensive um, and very hostile to anyone that wants to challenge their powers. So if you want to challenge what they're doing or what they're saying, immediately, for some reason, um, the police officers become hostile to you and start attacking, sometimes attacking yourself 
or just trying to shut you down, which is what happened to these women, because they felt as if these women were, the, you know, the Carrick's victims, were somehow attacking them and their system, when actually all they're doing is reporting a crime. Hmm. And and then, yeah, they, they were just uh, brushing it under the carpet because they were thinking yeah. that, you know, this, the, the police service. But... Uh, Again, you know, begs the question. I mean, it, it, this is this baffles me because you know I've worked in in a, in a few professional organisations. Whenever an external complaint comes in, it's it's a, it, isn't it the responsibility of the organisation concerned to to look at it carefully and to um, uh, to uh, to do to do justice to it? Well, not not if it's against against a police officer or police policy hmm. or police power no not 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 on that, so, so is there know, maybe they, another organization but not within the policing um so maybe uh, so sphere. do they start with the um uh, uh with the idea that police is always right i mean is is that a sort of mindset that's, that the police yeah, services that's, that's the mindset that's hmm. so basically there's some kind of there's some kind of brainwashing or hmm. or you know coaching going on or some kind of um, right something's gone something's gone seriously wrong basically right so you know sometimes you know very decent men and women join the police force not all of them some some are some are some are um not 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 the best some are bad people but some some of them are good and then because they're surrounded by you know these type of individuals who commit crimes basically um, and the structure itself where we're right and everyone else is wrong, those good people become bad. Right. So then the whole system, you can't rely on the whole system then. Absolutely. Because, and sometimes the good people don't stay. Sometimes they leave because they can't take it. Ms. Khan, this is a very, very interesting discussion, something that I'd like to continue. Uh, <laughs> we are, however, coming up news. So uh, would it be okay for, uh, for you to keep on the line, um, uh, stay on the line, and we will come back to you right after the news break? You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Uh, if you've just joined the breakfast show at Voice of Islam, we've been speaking to uh, Miss Sophie Khan about uh, the policing system in the UK, and of course, in light of the recent, um, you know, he- heinous acts that we've seen from David Carrick case and how that has had an impact, and how the Met Commissioner is trying to regain the trust of the public with regards to policing it's a case that of course has baffled a lot of people has created a lot of concerns regarding the policing system and we've been speaking to uh, Mr. Khan just before the uh, eight o'clock news uh, so coming back to uh, Mr. Khan if you can hear me um, I mean you mentioned how the vetting system of course uh, you know there are certain individuals that do come through and have a negative impact on the rest of the people and of course some of them being good people who do join the force uh, end up leaving because they see the injustice that is taking place so then the question is that of course there is this uh, list of uh, unfit police officers and as you mentioned with regards to investigations that when a complaint is made 
there are investigations. So aren't there any steps within the vetting system and also the uh, list of unfit pleasers and complaints? Isn't there a system where if a complaint is uh, flagged regarding a, an officer, uh, surely such a police officer, whilst investigation is you know put off duties and isn't allowed to continue with his work? Because if... You know, if we look at it from a practical perspective, if a person who has received some um, allegations or complaints, um, I'm pretty sure if you let them continue with their work, they will seize any other opportunity to do the same, uh, you know, misconduct. Um, So is there a system there? If you could just briefly explain and elaborate on the uh, unfit uh, police officers list. uh, Yeah, so there is a, yeah, so there is a barred list, but that only happens when, you know they've been found out what's been happening is um their behaviors internally have been gone unchecked for years so it's only when they get find out found out and um, by their bosses or when they get exposed after the bosses have maybe tried to hide it for years it's only then that they can go onto a barred list but that's too late because by that time you know the the damage has been done uh, the barred list mm. is only so that they can't apply again but the issue is not whether they comply again while they're in you know while while people are in the police of you know while while people are in the police service what are they doing that so i think it's very much about focusing not on the external barring list but the internal culture of um what's going on while um while they still are serving police officers. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, of course, as you mentioned, there are always got good people in, you know, in in the bunch. And of course, there's a lot of. I mean, we do see some of the work that the police uh, does, and of course, the, there is an, an effort being made to keep the public safe. But you know, it's those cases that do come to light. It, you know, it, then of course, as a member of the public, the thought does, you know, creep in that. Um, you know, if we if we lose trust in these people who are there to, you know, keep us safe, um, does it doesn't that mm. seem to be a failing system generally as a, as a whole? Uh, because if you know, if a if a normal person from the public has no longer that, yeah, you know, that trust in in that policing. Well, that's that's, uh, that's where we are now. So then, so then that begs the question: What do we do, and where do we go from yeah, as, so as, I, as, as members of the public? <laughs> within the three, within three to five years. We, we as a society and all of us who, who are in a leadership role need to really look into a post-police society and how, you know, how are we going to police our own streets, how are we going to police our own city, how are we going to police our own boroughs, those, those kind of things. We, we really need to But wouldn't that just create, create more problems? I mean, if you have individuals... No, I wouldn't say... But, but we, we have, we, to have we, some I'll, kind of policing system. We have, we have to have some kind of safety system, don't we? We but, can't not, not have any system at all. Of course, but I mean, the way, the, the way you're describing that, you know, if we, if we... How do we police our own cities, our own, uh, you know, streets. streets and our own areas, then yeah. are, aren't we creating the same sort of culture of the you know the state system where each there's a small state within the state and they have their own laws just as you know no, we won't have our know, own laws no we, we will be we're basically we you know whatever community issues we have for example in the borough of um, mm. um hackney whatever issues in hackney the locals will be able, will, will need to identify and deal with those whatever whatever you know issues in in Putney, they will be different to the borough in Hackney, for example. Can you see? 
So everyone will have their own different... Right. Um, each borough will have their own um, different um, set of priorities and how to... Not, it won't be used... The, I don't think policing will be used. I think the word going forward will be safety, how to, you know, you know how, how to keep us safe. Um, and um, and the, I think the responsibility... And I can see this happening in three to five years... Um, that I don't think we're going to have a policing system. So, do you are are you think are you saying that the the two systems will coexist? Or you're saying that the police service no, will be disbanded? No, I don't believe there'll be a policing system. I don't think they'll be disbanded. I think the Met, really? the Met Police is imploding. The, the Met Police won't last. This the same thing we're going through in the Met hmm. happened in Northern Ireland. The hmm. same thing. The the level of um, you know brutality and um, you know, disciplinary issues was the same thing that happened in the Northern Ireland uh, police force. And they imploded and had to be disbanded. And a totally new system was set up then. And most of it was neighborhood, there were basically a massive shift towards the, the, you know, the public and society having an impact on policing. So that was their structure. Our structure may be slightly different in the mainland. So, Same thing happened in Northern Ireland. Sure, um, and is that because so you are uh, you are advocating that uh, because you think that the issues in the police service as they stand are unfixable, 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 mm. and right. and everyone knows this. And this this is not something that happened within a couple of years. This has been mm. going on for the last thirty years. So for the last thirty years, the the, the Met Police has been imploding. And it's only now that it's come to the surface that we can all see it. But people like people like me, who've been, um, tr- you know, tr- trying to trying to deal with, um, you know, what the police were doing to members of the public, th- this was, you know, we've we've been saying this for years. I mean, I've been saying this for over 15 years that we've got a ma- major problem with the policing system, and um, hmm. and you know now obviously, but other people were saying it longer than me. Um, what so about the it, other you know, argument? Many people. Sure. What about the other argument, Ms. Khan, that there is a lot of good work, you know, despite all of these bad apples and bad examples, there is a lot of good work that is being done by the police as well. But because the amount 90% is bad and the 10% good, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's you know, we, we can't talk about the good anymore because um, it's only a fraction of what's going on. The majority is bad. That's the problem. And... Um, once that happens, um, we will really have to think about the next stage. So, you know, my, you know, my view is that we need, to, we need to have a look, you know, and see what a post-policing society looks like and try to put the frameworks in now so when there is no policing system left, at least the, the void is not filled by... Because what happens is the void will then be filled by gangsters, you know, mafia-type people... So we don't want that to happen. So we, there needs to be some kind of transitional period now. Maybe, obviously, we, we won't be able to work with the police, but we, there will need to be some kind of transitional period now as a, as a country, as a society, as communities. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that's where we are. It's unfortunate, but that's, I think that's where we are now. Yeah, and so, so I mean, just bouncing off that, so what, as you know, as members of the public, what can we do to just be self-aware of what's going on and how to ensure that you know we, as members of the public, don't fall 
in the wrong hands moving on from here uh, how do we ensure that you know we won't be making the same mistake as we did previously with the policing system uh, what's the you know what's the advice that you would give to, well, to people are, out there yeah there are some organizations that have been working on uh, you know a, a kind of um, um, post policing structure um, and you know safety and accountability so there are um, organizations that have been working on these type you know types of um, ideas for a while so probably to explore those try to make contact with those organizations to see what they can do and what what else they can learn from them um, but it's de- it's definitely something you know we need to start talking about as maybe maybe starting in our local boroughs local communities to seeing how how are we going to do this ourselves so similar to neighborhood policing but on a much bigger much bigger scale so neighborhood policing is basically us neighbor, you know protecting our own neighborhoods but this time we'll be we'll be protecting our own boroughs cities and then the whole you know our our, our country right miss khan uh, an absolutely um, an education to speak to you uh really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so very much for coming on this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Right, so that was uh, Ms. Sophie Khan, who is Director of Policy and Legal at the Police Action Centre, actually uh, uh, advocating that uh, the police service should be disbanded um, because it's not fit for purpose and um, her view is that uh, it is actually unfixable. Let me now go straight to our second guest, which is uh, Mr. Kayum Rashid, who is um, a fellow presenter on uh, on The Breakfast Show and also uh, takes a keen interest in these issues and has uh, uh, his son, I believe, is uh, is a member of the police service as well. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Uh, good morning. Peace be on you, gentlemen. Just a, a small correction. My son is training. Oh, your son is training. All right. Thank you. So, uh, Mr. Rashid, you would have heard what... Um, uh, what a previous guest, uh, Ms. Khan, was saying. Would you yeah. agree that the police service should be disbanded? Do you think things are that bad? No, not at all. Right. Not at all. On the contrary. E- even if, even if let's, let's look at the worst possible scenario, even if she was correct. What's the alternative? I mean, everyone talks of, uh, everyone is has got ideas about um, disbanding the police, police is this, police is that. But nobody has come up with an alternative. Well, the alternative that she presented was that you know uh, people need to come up and neighborhood neighborhood watchers and uh, uh, but, but, people within local quite, communities. But again, it, it, it sounds like a fantastic film, um, <laughs> but 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 the law needs to be learned. Law needs to be applied. Law is not something that any Tom, Dick, and Harry can do. That's anarchy. Yes, Mr. Reed, I mean, I agree with you, but again, I mean, we can't disregard the fact that there are bad apples within the uh, within the police and the in the force, and of course, name me, name me an industry where there isn't one. No, of course, but I'm, what I'm saying is that these these people who are there out there to enforce the policy and the law, uh, of course, such acts have caused you know, the general public to lose interest, lose trust within in, in no, the that's force. That's because that's because that's because mainstream media. Are, are not reporting the good things, the fantastic and thousands and thousands of good things that the police does. But when one mm. thing goes wrong and things do go wrong, mm. there are bad apples. But then they get, then the police, our police service is called sleazy. They're called all the all the negative names under the sun. But the same people, I, your, your previous guest, I would love to know what your previous 
guest would do if, God forbid, she was a victim of a crime? Would she call her neighbor or would she call the police? Right. It, uh, it's, it's quite, it's, it's, we are making a simple thing hmm. into, into uh, um, a media drama. But Mr. Rashid, is, no. it, is, it, is it that simple, though? Because, it is uh, that simple. What, it when, is that simple. It, it, just hear me out. So, so the question that I'm posing is that one of the statistics that was mentioned by uh, Ms. Khan was that two to three police officers are going to court every week. Okay, let's put that into context. That could be the same police officers coming back to court on the same case further down the line. That's not new police officers every week coming in front. Be that as it may, uh, Mr. Rishi, well, that, no, that that's makes still... a huge difference. That makes a huge difference. Yeah, but I, that... you know, I, the same police officer wouldn't be appearing three times a week, would they? So there, there would be no, at no, least but, three but... different police officers look, in one week, right? Look, let's put this, look, look, Daniel, let's put this into perspective. Back in 2010, 20,000 police officers were taken off the streets. Everybody knows that. Mm. That was done by the government in cost-cutting on, or, or um, austerity or whatever you want to call it. There were 20,000 police officers that were taken off the streets some 13 years ago. Right. Then what happened, the police were put into a position where, where they had so much crime, but they had no officers to deal with this. So they looked to recruit. They looked to recruit quickly because the government again came out and made promises that we will do this, we will come back and recruit new people. And then the vetting process slipped. The vetting process slipped, people weren't vetted, and then there were a few dirty apples that came through the system. But, but there is no Mr. Rishi, the, but the vetting, Right, but the vetting system didn't slip uh, in 2000. The vetting system slipped uh, probably more than a decade ago because we've had people like David Carrick for a long time. Yeah, but David Carrick, David Carrick again, was, was recruited through the armed forces previous armed forces, somewhere down the line, the vetting process did fail. But instead of looking back, and everybody continues to look back, why aren't anybody, why isn't everybody looking at the new person who has taken charge? So Mark Mark Raleigh, he didn't have to come back, he retired. Hmm. He could be living a, you know, a a relaxed life. He didn't need to come back and say, okay, I can sort this out. He has come back. He has made apologies. He had... And, and you know, the first thing about making corrections is when you know where you've gone wrong, and he's already done that. He's making apologies. He's going out there. He's actually got a new plan. Everybody talks about neighborhood policing. Your last guest talked about neighborhood policing. One of the biggest plans that uh, the new commissioner has is about raising standards and showing communities that, that the, the, the police service cares and respects them. This includes, you know, anti-corruption, abuse command systems, um, more use of... Um, uh, technology and more resources in accountability, which is what everybody wants. He has talked about how the the, the, the new plan talks about uh, stronger ever um, neighborhood policing, which is I don't know anybody who hasn't talked about it. Neighborhood policing, and it's been backed by the mayor actually um, financing 500 new PCSOs. Um, you know that's um, uh, the community police officers. So. Things are starting. There is a new plan. There's a turnaround plan that has been published where people, it's not just a plan where he's made, he's asking for communities and people to give give them feedback. So you can contact the Met Police. You can give them feedback. It's open for 12 weeks. If you have an ideas, work with the police. Look, 
even in the worst possible scenario, what we need to realize is we need to support the police because a country without laws will 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 inevitably turn into an uh, you know an anarchic society when people then 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 the law will be interpreted in accordance with the need of the individual yeah no I completely agree and, and, and uh, as we mentioned earlier on as well there is a lot of good work that the police is doing and there's no doubt about that and of course a lot you of know, people the police is more open more pe- more more open to to diversity of more course. more open to um, uh, equal opportunity there's more there is more visibility out there there are more there are more uh, plans that are being made about the police and we have to remember you know it's we have to support of course i mean i mean i agree with you but what i'm what i'm trying to see say is that of course there as you've said you're absolutely right and of course we need individuals out there who enforce the law so that you know we don't go into this crumbling society where everyone's in turmoil but just just you know just playing the devil's advocate just for the slightest moment i mean those people i mean out of those many good officers those who do turn out to be you know to be Which is majority of them. No, of course no, i mean a lot of them are good but those who do majority then... i i don't even agree with the word a lot i would say majority there is a minority yes bad apples Okay, but, but let, let, well, let's take let's, just take let's take those just minority just just for, for for a moment, and you know those people who you know they've committed and perpetrated their crimes against. How would you then reconcile with those people, those people who have been affected by this so-called police officer who is, who has given the police a bad image? How do you then reconcile with such people? How do you regain their trust? What would you how what would the police then it do? It takes time. It takes time. Look, firstly, first and foremost, to acknowledge that wrong has been done. Secondly, support mechanisms to be put into place to ensure that they are given the total support that they need and they should get uh, in accordance with the, 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 the suffering that, that, that they have experienced. You know, th- there is no, th- there's no getting away from that. Um, but, but I'm sure even they will agree if you were to question them and ask them that what's the way going forward? And it, that's the most important thing going forward. Look, I was um, um, I was a victim of crime. What, first ten, twelve weeks ago? I my house got burgled, cars got stolen, things got stolen. Shoot, and and you know when I called the police, um, they did turn up. Um, they turned up twenty four hours later, not because they weren't bothered, because they just didn't have any people. Should I hate them for it? Because when they did turn up, they were very thorough. They were very polite. They were very kind. They took all the relevant details. The, you know the the the, the specialist who ever come to take fingerprints and whatnot. Um, everything was done very speedily. Now the fact that there was a delay in 24 hours, and the fact that I know that there is a huge shortage in police officers. If I was to take that anger, well, I have been a victim of crime, so I should need. I should. I think the police is is useless now. But tomorrow, when I get burgled again, the same people who I think and I go bant about calling them sleazy calling them the worst thing under the sun, yet they're the first people I'm going to turn to when I'm in trouble. It doesn't make sense. You have to look forward. If you really want, in society, and again, it's Hmm. about society, it's not just about the individual. Hmm. In society and communities, look, as I said, my son is, and I know a lot of his friends who are looking to join the police. Communities need to come out and support. There isn't enough support within um, diverse communities to to uh, um, to encourage people to join the force because of this. Again, 
the mainstream media and a lot of these politicians come out and 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 you know talk against the force hmm. but and and it's all about self interest it's never about the community right so so let's talk about solutions now so what do your mind then are the, so i think we are agreeing that the vetting system wasn't good enough wasn't fit for purpose that there are bad apples uh, whatever their number within the police force where do we go from here how do we how do we fix those how do we expose them well a new plan has been published by the new commissioner uh, sir mark rowley uh, he's published a turnaround plan which sets out how the Met will achieve its mission. Um, and the mission is to increase trust, uh, to reduce crime, and to deliver high standard. It's a plan which has um, um, been published uh, on, the, I think, 10th of January. Um, and it's, a t- it's called a turnaround plan. And it's not a plan which is set in stone now. It is a plan mm. which will be open for, I think, till April. And if people who want to, and, and people who really are interested in working with the police like um you know uh, i i am interested i i would i would i would hope your previous guests and you guys would be interested you can contact the police because um it, it it's welcoming feedback from people from communities with new ideas um uh, on how um, you know the communities how the neighbors how the people um, wish to be policed and what ideas they might have so Mark Rowley saying, well, okay, we don't have all the answers. Maybe you can tell us, and maybe we can kind of brainstorm under this plan. Right. You know, that's the beginning. Sure. And again, got to look forward. Got to look forward. Yes, we have to look forward. I think uh, we absolutely uh, can fully agree on that. My last question to you, Mr. Rishid, would be, uh, brother, where do you bring so much energy from so early in the morning? What do you have for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> A double espresso. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to, I'd, 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 I'd like to know the recipe for that. Here, I would love to sit here and tell you it's so seed and this bread and that bread. No, <laughs> it's a double espresso. <laughs> well, I want that double espresso and I want that double espresso every morning because I don't know how you do this and where you bring this passion and energy, energy from. It's but, kind of you, kind of you, thank you. But absolutely lovely to have you here um, on the show. Lovely to for you to, uh, to debate the other side. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mr. Kayyum Rashid. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So that was uh, Mr. Kayyum Rashid, who um, uh, is um, whose son is uh, is under training, is obviously uh, under training within the police service, and uh, was making a, a very passionate uh, case for not disbanding the police service and fixing the police service. And I, I, I guess. Um, uh, you know, as in as in most things, uh, the the solution usually does lie somewhere in the middle. I guess um, uh, there is there is a big argument to be to be had about about how bad the police uh, policing has become, how many bad apples there are, and um, uh, and the culture really of uh, misogyny, the culture of um, uh, um, so many other things that we've talked about. Uh, you know, missed opportunities and. In, in terms of uh, the David Carrick case, but uh, but equally, I guess it it perhaps would be, uh, in my opinion, taking it too far on the other side. If you if you started to talk about disbanding the police service uh, altogether, uh, I guess that's um, that's something that uh, the government needs to uh, to consider. And it's not always. I mean, as Mr. Rashid mentioned, it's not always the case of just letting one thing go. 
I mean, there is a lot of good work, which, you know, yeah, we personally know that, exactly, you know, yeah, that the police yeah, does yeah. and the policing system and how things are kept in order. Yeah. And of, of course, as you mentioned, if those are also highlighted, that's, you know, a stepping stone for rebuilding that trust mm. for people. I mean, I, I think it's just a lot of people are, behind, you know, they are under a veil when it comes to the policing system. They, are, mm. they haven't been opened to the work that the police does. No, no, I mean, of course, there is the whole issue of keeping, uh, you know, the laws in check, but also just, you know, how they roam the streets. There's a lot of things that the police does. Uh, I have a couple of friends who are in the force mm. who work uh, as police officers. And the amount of work and things that they need to do and the sure. things that they go through, mm. of course, it has a big, big impact on their lives. Mm. Seeing things, you know, that the general public wouldn't see. Then coping with that, um, you know, the me mental frustration that you have at certain things, you know, walking into a crime scene where, you know, you get to see things which, you know, you only see on TV and seeing that in real life, of course, that has a big impact on your personality, on your, on your, on your, on your mental capacity. So there's a lot of things and we can't sit here and take sides, you know, this is bad, this is wrong, or this is not right, this is... I mean, we just, we have to, again, come down to what justice is, and this is what Islam teaches us. Absolutely. We justice in this matter too. Hmm. And where there is something wrong, you know, address that. And as yeah. Mr. Yeah. Rashid said I, that, you know, th th there's always, you know, in every system, not just policing, in every system there's and always And in this one, I mean, we can agree that there's yeah. a lot that needs to be fixed, a lot that needs to be set right, uh, and, and restoring public trust would, would not be an easy thing. Uh, you know, a cultural change within an organization like the police wouldn't be, uh, there is no magic wand for that. It would be very difficult uh, as well. So they're all challenges, but yeah, absolutely. You talked about the Islamic um, um, uh, perspective. Let's take a quick break now, and when we come back, let's explore that in a bit more detail as to what is what solution Islam suggests in terms of uh, providing safety um, to its citizens. Please do stay tuned. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, welcome back to the breakfast show. Uh, we've been having a very interesting discussion regarding the policing system in the UK uh, in light of the recent uh, David Carrick case that has come up in the news. Um, if you've just joined us, uh, we are going to be speaking about the Islamic perspective with regards to citizens and how 
to ensure that public safety is uh, enforced within Islam. Uh, we had uh, two very respected guests uh, in the show and we spoke to them about what the system is. Uh, one side of the coin was that the policing system is failing in our state and uh, it's collapsing and you know there will come a point where we'll have to look for alternatives. Now, on the other side of uh, the argument, quite contrary, we had uh, Mr. Rashid Saab saying, Mr. Rashid saying that uh, you know it's not all that bad. It's not all gloomy. In fact, there's a lot of good work that's being done by the police, which is not highlighted, and it's it's just the bad that's highlighted, and that's the reason why a lot of people are losing interest in the police. If only the good was highlighted and uh, people saw what the police was doing, then you know there will be somewhat more respect and more reverence given to the police. Uh, nevertheless, um, of course, uh, as mentioned, there's always uh, there are injustices that do take place, and there, we can't disregard the fact that there are people who. Give give the rest of us a bad name, whether that's in police, whether it's uh, communities, whether it's religion. Uh, there's all be or there'll always be people who, unfortunately, uh, give a bad name to the rest of uh, rest of them and rest of us. Uh, but coming back to the topic in today's discussion, I think it's very important to touch upon the Islamic teachings uh, when it comes to policing, when it, when it comes to enforcing law. Um, with me at the moment, I have uh, Imam Usman Manan. Um, Imam uh, Usman Manan, when it comes to ensuring that a state or a place is kept safe and the laws are obliged to and they are uh, they are followed, what does Islam teach about that? And what sort of foundations does it lay down for a safe society? Yeah, so it's... Uh it all narrows down to one point, which is justice. You have been speaking about it. Um, we have been speaking about it on the show. Right. His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand. He talks about it every year, every, every big occasion about peace, right. in the European Parliament, everywhere. It's justice. Everything comes down to justice. And obviously, the, the, the question is that why aren't people just then? What what makes it? You can't decide that this is a just person and this is an unjust person. Naturally, you know, from our um, human behavior, everyone is a just person. Everyone wants to be, you know, nice. Nobody wants to be a liar. Nobody likes to be unjust. But you know, your situation forces you to. Uh, it doesn't force you. It gives you. It gives you the two options. It gives you two choices. This is how God Almighty puts you to test. Right. You have two choices. Like there's money there, you have the choice. Either you can take it, and nobody will notice, or you, you will be just and you will be honest and you will leave it because it's not yours. Right. So the people in power, when power gets to your head, this because you have power, nobody can question you. You won't get caught. You you will be safe. So that little aspect of safety is something which makes it easy for you to go the, the wrong way, to go right. away from justice. Right. In the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has stated, O people, Allah commands that when you are in a position to make over the trust of authority to someone, you should grant it to those worthy of discharging the responsibility. Right. So this verse, you know, so profound that 
who are the people you want to trust is those who deserve it in another right. narration of the holy prophet peace be upon him he mentioned that the, the fall of islam will come when when people who don't deserve who are not worthy of it are given the charge are given the duties the the responsibility of of uh, leading people absolutely and today we can see in many islamic governments in many islamic policing systems or in general that why are the islamic countries not thriving that much it's they're pushing they're pulling each other's legs like they want to come up themselves if, if they follow the teachings of this of, of of the holy quran if they follow the teachings of islam yeah then just practically theoretically in any way there is no way that you you are uh, you're, you're going to have problems in your country absolutely and if, if islamic teachings are adhered to in in the best possible manner then i think a lot of the issues that we see in society will be uh, you know, uprooted and uplifted, and and the thing is, as you mentioned, the, the the sense of power and greed for power has a lot to do with these things, and uh, you know mm. the corruption within, uh, you know, within systems. Knowing someone who knows someone who is in the you know higher end of the hierarchy, he can you know take me out, he can bail me out, he can do this, I I won't be caught. This agenda or this thought. That is also one of the reasons why people perpetrate uh, crimes, uh, and of course, uh, on, as we've been yeah. mentioning. On, on the other hand, you have you have like amazing people like Mr. Kayum was mentioning, yeah. um, Sir Mark <clears throat> Rowley, who's yeah. come back to take charge. I mean, he's retired; he doesn't need to do that. Yeah, he's you know he, out of his own compassion, and he's coming back to the force because he feels responsible. Yeah, and th- that's an amazing quality. I feel, of course, he even though he's gone, he he's spent his time. He did his great good, good job. He feels responsible that what I left behind wasn't good enough. So he yeah. wants to come back, make amends. Well, and of course, this is a really good uh, initiative is taken. But again, uh, just coming back to what Islam teaches. I mean, in Islam, you must remember. I mean, there's a very famous quote of the promised uh, of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, mm-hmm. and the Arabic of that is. That all of you are responsible and you will be, you know, asked about and you are responsible. And in the hereafter, you will be mm-hmm. asked and judged about your responsibilities and how you looked after your responsibility. And this is so profound. And this is something that, you know, we must adhere to in every profession, whether it's policing, whether it's education, whether it's. Uh, the universities in every aspect of life you know even in domestic uh, you know uh, settings the the Holy Prophet is saying that all of you are responsible yeah. I mean just for an example in the household the, the, the husband I mean or whoever is uh, at home you know there is one at least person who's responsible for the the upbringing of the house or not just the upbringing of the house but just general ma- maintenance of the house yeah. whether that's pro- provision of food whether it's you know cooking you're responsible in every aspect of your life and Definitely. what islam teaches us is that you know you know you might be able to get away from some things in this world but we are constantly reminded of the hereafter and we're constantly reminded that you will be judged uh, uh, on the basis of your actions So that And I- Islam constantly reminds us It's not just a reminder that's come up once It's a reminder that is constantly And consecutively Repeated it's Multiple so times important. Of course uh, and uh, that's the basis yeah. of I mean if, if you know that you know, I will be judged 
for my actions in the hereafter and God will judge me in in accordance to my actions. If they're bad, then, then, then there's punishment and if mm. I've done well, then there's reward. And I think that sense of um, having that, you know, enables mm. you to then, you know, even if you have some bad intentions, but if you have that fear of God that, you know, God is, is watching over me and I'm responsible for my actions and I will be asked about my actions and now I'm going to be I'm going to have to you know give a reply for my actions I'm going to have yeah. to be in the court of God then you know that you know even if I do something bad then there's always that you know I, I will be asked mm. but uh, again and that's what Islam teaches and secondly Islam throughout you know if you look and study the Holy Quran it's very clear it says that when you are made head over someone or if you're, if you're in the position of ruling, then it's your responsibility to uphold justice. Definitely. Right, yeah? And I think the, the point you mentioned about the hereafter, this is why it is so necessary. If, if you are in a p- position of power in this world, the court of the world can't touch you. But yeah. God's court is something which no one is uh, ex- exempt from. So e- even the highest authorities, if you're the president of the strongest country in the world, the only way you can be just is that if you have someone above you. Yeah. And that's why you have to believe in a God. You have to fear God. And a God-fearing leader will never be unjust. Because, oh, absolutely. Because, because he knows that he's responsible. His, his superior yeah. is God. Of course. Because he knows that he has to, you know, give answers to a higher being. Mm. Not in this world. Maybe not in this world. Maybe in the hereafter. But he will know or he or she will know that I am responsible for the actions that I take. And I have to, you know, answer back to God. And if they are God-fearing and they have that in them, then they will think twice before taking a step, before making a policy, before taking some sort of um, initiative. They will always mm-hmm. have that in their, in, at the back of their minds that God is there and he's looking over us. And if, if we don't take our actions in line yeah, of the teachings of God, then we will be, you know, we're going to have to answer to that. Mm-hmm. One of the most beautiful examples of this, you know, position of power is uh, displayed by the second caliph of uh, the Holy Prophet, uh, Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him. In terms of this policing system, what he did that is he was one of the early people who started uh, doing uh, night rounds. Absolutely, and he would. He was. You need to imagine that he was a caliph, but at that at that point, the caliph was the head of state as well. So he was the leader of a country, and you see him doing night uh, rounds, doing going around houses uh, to make sure people are safe personally. He doesn't recruit people and make them do it. He wakes up at night. He has his own turn, goes around, and being at the head of a state, being the leader of a whole entire nation. And, you know, staying up at night to do this night shift. This is what justice is. Because he feels responsible. He felt that this is the, just like the, the, the narration you mentioned, that every every person has subject on them and they're responsible for him. He felt responsible for them. And he felt that if everyone else is sleeping at night, I, I have to make sure they're safe. Absolutely. So he personally go up, he would go around at night and... It's not just for safety. There was uh, sometimes th- 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 there's a narration that once he was sitting against the wall at night, uh, just resting, you know, from his from his uh, night shift, and he heard a baby crying in the house. Mm. So, 
and uh, he wondered what, what's happening. So he knocked on the door and he asked the woman, "Why, why is your baby crying this late at night?" And she said that she's crying. He's crying because we don't have any food. He didn't have any dinner. He didn't have anything to eat. And uh, uh, um, as Umar, His Holiness, he he felt very responsible. He felt so like he felt shattered that I'm running this country and there's this baby who doesn't get food, even though we have enough food. So he personally he went to the to the storage or to the where all the food and mm. uh, treasury was he picked up some grain on his own back he went and he then he made it for for those for that family he cooked it and he fed the baby so this is an example of a leader absolutely and you know just coming back to uh Hazrat umar may allah be pleased with him uh again you know justice isn't you know that you you see something wrong you just let it go. In fact, the Quran teaches us that even if you have to give a witness against your parents, your children, your loved ones, yeah. then do it because that's closer to justice. And that's how justice is established. If you see someone close to you doing wrong, don't just you know uh, turn a blind eye to it. Don't just brush it under the carpet, but mm. speak out against it. And say that this is wrong. Don't be, you know, don't be scared that, you know, if I say something or he's my relative or he or she is related to me or they're my friends or whatever it is. And that's what it is, you know, coming back to the whole system we were speaking about earlier, that, you know, the how Miss Khan described it, that, you know, the seniors, they they look out for them and they look after them and they brush under the carpet and they support them and they help them. You know, the reason why a lot of the officers don't, not, I wouldn't say a lot, but those who are the bad apples, the reasons mm -hmm. why they don't, you know, they don't meet the true justice is because they've got a lot of people covering up for them. Exactly. And that's what Islam teaches. It says that no matter how close someone is to you, if you see wrong in them, then go out there and say it that it's wrong. And even if you do bear a testimony, then bear a testimony against them. And we see that with Hazrat Umar Zalan, we've seen it multiple times. He, if he saw that a law was being broken and wasn't being adhered to, he will publicly have the perpetrator punished. Yeah, he would have them punished, whatever the punishment was of that time, whatever the punishment was for a crime that was perpetrated, he would do that, even regarding his own son. Mm. He had his son publicly punished for an act or you know an act which didn't go in line with the law at the time so this is what ultimate justice is and that's the reason why it is famous that the people living under the islamic rule and it's not just famous it's a historical fact not only described by the muslim historians but we have mm. the uh, orientalists modern day orientalists you know, affirming the fact and accepting the fact that during the rule of the Islamic empire, people lived in harmony. People were not fearful of practicing their religion. They weren't fearful of crimes being perpetrated against them. And if exactly. if, if, if it happened ever so of, you know, of that nature, then there were actions that were taken against those things, as I mentioned regarding Hazrat mm. Umar. So it's, it's, it's a thing that Islam teaches, and if adhered to properly, you mentioned about different Islamic countries in the world right now, how they are failing in certain aspects. And it's because the Islamic teachings aren't being adhered to and practiced 
to the, to the T. So that's 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 the issue. Yeah, absolutely. it's it's a, it's lost values, mm-hmm. if you put it in that way. So I think you know we've had a very very informative discussion about um, the, the the whole issue with regards to policing and how we need to restore faith back into our system. Uh, and it's been a lovely uh, little talk. Well, in fact, it's a, a very long talk, a very beneficial um, subject for very us. First, I think it's uh, one, one of the like most um, absolutely fired up shows I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, but I mean, now moving on the to the, to our second subject uh, of our second segment, uh, and that uh, quite you know interesting. Uh, I mean, a lot of people out there will be. They will be attentive to towards this. Uh, a lot of those people who are health, uh, you know, related, uh, you know, who have a lot of health-related uh, interests, so they mm. will be very interested in our second segment, and that is: Are microwave-safe plastic containers actually safe to microwave? Uh, what do you think, Nadia Sab? Are they safe or are they not? Well, <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I think the jury is still out there. I think there is a, you know, the. With with research, you know, every five years, every two three years, there is a different uh, different narrative. Uh, so yes, I think um, uh, there is now uh, this increasingly um, vocal narrative that they are not safe. Um, while I think uh, the manufacturers uh, continue to insist that they are safe, my personal point of view would be that uh, you know I I would rather safe be sorry, uh, mm. <laughs> than uh, and and therefore I would uh, rather stay away from using uh, any sort of plastic, which I don't yeah. uh, a, as a matter of rule at home uh, in in the microwave. I just don't. It makes sense, mm. you know, pl- plastic. It's just yeah. very easy to melt compared yeah. to like steel or or like the, the the other plates we have at home. So uh, if you let's say you you want your food really hot and you in that process, the plastic starts melting and it's gonna get mixed into your food, and you consume that, even though they they claim that this is exactly what it's meant to pr- um, prevent the microwave microwavable plastic, mm. but still like what kind of plastic is it which doesn't melt? Mm. Of course, I mean there are different special. kinds of plastics. So there's there's a, you know, an array a hierarchy of different types of plastics. Uh, some of them, of course, are more you know, the effective towards our health and have bigger threats to our health. Uh, but ha- but that doesn't mean that, you know, plastic in as general ruling isn't safe for us. I mean, we use plastic in so many other aspects. So There is also a lot of research at the moment going on. So this is a new area uh, around microplastics mm-hmm. and, and microplastics uh, being present in our bloodstream. Yeah. Um, oh, really? And um, and and therefore, I think yeah, I I don't know if that sort of research, that level of research, has been done on the uh, what are called as micro, micro microwave safe plastics or not. Mm. And uh, until we have uh, you know verifiable data around um, uh, around that that particular aspect of um, uh, of plastics and the safety of plastics and and whether they are they they do leave any microplastics within our system, I think until then the jury is very much out there. And uh, and, I, and and you're right, we we do use plastics um, uh, in our daily life a lot, but um, again, I think that there is an increasing amount of uh, 
uh, of research which is going on, uh, you know, microplastics being, and, and you know, there, there are multiple aspects to this. So we use plastics. Yes, we use plastics, but then there's a huge problem of plastic waste. Yeah. A lot of that gets dumped in the oceans yeah. um, where the fish that we eat uh, live. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And plastic components, microplastics included, yeah. have been found in the fish. Yeah. Which then become part of our diet. Yeah, we consume as well. And the thing is, I was reading somewhere that it can take up to a thousand years for plastic to decompose. Now that's uh, you know quite scary. It's it's a very long time. It's a whole millennium for you know one piece of plastic to decompose. But again, I mean, where do we, you know, where do we draw the line? Because because the thing is that okay, we speak about microwave, uh, microwavable plastic. If that's safe, if not, Hmm. and you know, to to what degree can we? cut out plastic from our lives well I can give you a personal example we don't use any plastic of course but I mean here's the thing but here's the thing I mean you know we might be able to cut out plastic from Hmm. our homes but if we walk you know go out whether it's shopping whether it's you know a lot of our products that we use they're packaged in plastic they come to us in plastic and you know that's the thing where do we draw the line how do we and I, I don't think we can you know we don't practically live in a world where we can you know generally just take plastic out of our lives because we're so accustomed to it you know so many things revolve around it you know look at you know a little thing sometimes you know some of the toothbrushes that we use mm. they have fragments of plastic in them as well mm. you know this mm. is a very small example yeah you know so it's again you know it's not i don't think the discussion is about whether it's microwave or safe i think it's generally how whether plastic is safe or if it's not again i don't think there's enough research in terms of the different, uh, you know, components mm. of uh, plastic and different varieties of plastic, you know, of course, as we mentioned, there's different, um, the, you know, there's a hierarchy of plastics, uh, some of them being a bigger threat to our health and some not. Uh, but again, it's just, it's a fact. And I think everyone has an individual um, perspective about it and a take on it. And some might say that, you know, you health experts are being a bit too you know, sensitive about it. You know, we've been using plastic for years. Nothing's happened to us. We're (laughs) completely fine. You know, we live our lives surrounded by plastic. But on the other side, you know, every, every, every side has, you know, an opposite side. But those people who are advocating for, you know, um, a greener world for us, um, they, they, and, you know, rightfully so, they do say that, you know, the, the decomposing of plastic is a big issue. Our wildlife is being affected by it. Mm. As you mentioned, there's microplastics, fragments of plastic uh, in fishes. And then, of mm. course, that's what we're consuming, too. So it's 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 a chain of things. It's, a, it's in our food chain. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. You know, there's got to be and, and no denying the fact that there are huge advantages of plastics as well. I mean, the plastics are used, used in many, many industries. I guess what uh, what um, I'm trying to say here is that uh, plastics within the food chain uh, is something that we need to avoid and plastics within mm-hmm. any, any plastic packaging which um, is used for edibles, any edible item is, is something that we need to be careful of and and, and certainly, yeah, you're right, if, if plastics are there in our, in our toothbrushes as well. Uh, so something from as basic as that. So they are, they're all, they're all pervasive and um, I, more research certainly needs to be done as to the um, uh, adverse impact or benefits of plastic, uh, for that matter. I mean, we, they, they are things that do affect our, you know, our health. And 
there's you know there's a lot of chem- chemicals like you know like phthalates and stuff in those plastics that have an impact on our health mm. uh, but that doesn't go to say again and the thing is and the funny thing is if you you know I've got eczema right mm. my creams they are packed in a plastic bottle <laughs> so, so, so the thing you know, the, the irony is that to be on one hand we're advocating about the health effects of yeah, plastic yeah, yeah. but yeah. then when we turn to our medical uh, perspective a lot of our you know medication is being the, packed the, the, the you know, medicine so comes so in the process it's, it's, so you're supposed to avoid uh, so you know, of course <laughs> so the, the, that's the irony there but nevertheless i think it's 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 important that we are aware of things and i think plastic as you mentioned isn't all bad uh, and again you know i think the bigger issue is of how do we get rid of plastic the whole issue with the with regards to recycling is uh, plastic all 100% recyclable and research shows that it's not you still need new plastic for the old plastic to come into you know for it to be recycled so it's not 100% sustainable when it comes to recycling uh, but so how, what can we do then as you know people to avoid mm. Uh, things and I think one of the things is you know reusing things, you yeah. know containers. Reuse your containers. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to put them in your ovens or your mm. your your microwaves, but reuse them. You know containers for your water, for your this. Exactly. Stop using plastic bottles for for drinking water. Of course, yeah. and if you have then yeah. uh, you know reuse them for a time, and you can you know I mean for example uh, I can only give you an example of what we do at home. My mother, what she does at times is that she gets those you know those plastic containers mm. sometimes she just puts it in the garden and uh, she puts uh, you know compost in there and she's growing something yeah, out of it yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's little mm-hmm. things that you can do absolutely yeah. you know yeah. little things that you can sure. do to that's, you know help with yeah. the nature i think to start with you should like uh, because plastic mixed with heat that's that's i think the most dangerous issue right now especially with these microwaves mm. so it's like avoid using plastic <clears throat> for your food and especially heating mm. it up so that's like that's a start it's not very difficult to you know get a different plate or container to warm sure. up your food yeah at the end of the day it's all about our uh, our convenience and 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 just uh, taking that extra step to yeah. uh, maybe slightly inconvenient but probably healthier mm. since we're talking about microwaves like uh, i was watching a video of a scientist neil deGrasse tyson very famous scientist on youtube and stuff and mm. he explained how microwaves actually work I didn't know about that. Right. I thought that they, they emit some microwaves, which, which damages, damages, and they do something to the food. Mm. But he said that. So the story he 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 narrated was that in World War Two, I think, or World War One, one of those wars, um, there was a there was a person who was um, who had chocolate, and he left it to a microwave tower. Mm. They had tower microwaves to um, communicate, and he came back and saw his micro his chocolate melted. So he explained that what microwaves do is that they vibrate your water particles right and so quickly that it, they heat up and this is how it heats up the food and he says this is why your food will be hot but the plate will never be hot hmm. it will only be hot because the food is touching it but on the area where where it's the food is not touching it the plate is not hot because it doesn't contain water so it it uses the water within the food yes uh, so if you want to heat up something and it's yeah. not heating up then put like a glass of water in it the water will heat up and heat up the food and i think you know those people who are very health conscious even they will argue that you know forget microwavable plastics you shouldn't be using a microwave at all hmm. so there's always that you know yeah. one uh, you know hmm. 
end to the story and there's another yes. to to the to that well story. i'm one of them oh so. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on that on that note of disagreement uh, <laughs> let's end uh, the show today thank you very much gentlemen uh, imam anan and imam zafri for uh, for joining us today we've had uh, a great discussion about uh, police and and what reforms the police needs and then we in the latter part of the show we had a, uh, a discussion about plastics and use of plastics and, and microwaves uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the, today's show please do go into soundcloud to listen to the recording of the show we will be back uh, next week next monday until then assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may peace and blessings of allah be upon you